Yeah, and so how did you uh, first get into the biotech space? Right, there is such a stigma about getting into biotech um, <laughs> that you need to know people and network and it's like invite only. Um, that's not so much true. Hey folks, thank you for tuning in to the Grad School Sucks podcast, the show for grad students who want to survive grad school and thrive in their career afterwards. I'm your host, Matt Carlson, and today I'm talking with my new colleague, Chase Baker. But before I introduce Chase, I want to give a quick plug to the free grad school sticker giveaway that I'm currently hosting to celebrate hitting 14K on Instagram. If you like to laugh and you like stickers, then sign up today to enter to win 14 unique grad school themed stickers. And if you're willing to answer a few extra questions after you enter the giveaway, I will personally mail you three grad school stickers guaranteed. See the link in the description of this podcast episode to enter the giveaway today. But now, back to today's interviewee, Chase Baker. Chase is an industry scientist working in biotech and finishing up his master's in molecular biology. He joins the podcast to talk about life in the biotech space, both startup and corporate, what it's like to work in industry while also being in grad school, and how grad students can prepare themselves to break into the seemingly elusive biotech world. This episode is perfect for those looking to work in biotechnology companies after graduation. And I'm so excited to be able to share this episode with you today. Be sure to stick around to the very end to hear Chase's responses to the bonus questions. And without further ado, let's get to the interview. All right, cool. Chase, sorry for the interruption. Would you once again just introduce uh, yourself so that we can know who you are professionally? Sure. So my name is Chase Baker, and I am a scientist for a startup company. I am a process development associate for a Fortune 500 biotechnology company. I have a master's degree from Cal State University, Northridge, and uh, just enjoy and love and have indulged into the sciences since a very young age. That's awesome. So let's start there. What got you into science and what led you to go to grad school? So it's a great question. So both my parents um, are both in the medical field. Uh, my dad's a PA and my mother's an RN. I spent a ton of time in hospitals uh, with them as kids. And for the longest time, I was pre-med forever, right? And as an undergrad, um, made a great relationship with a neuroscientist uh, professor at Cal State Channel Islands named Dr. Harris. And he invited me to be a part of his laboratory. And uh, once I realized that there was other options besides going to medical school, um, I realized, oh my gosh, you know, <laughs> so I was still pre-med, but I was a part of this research lab thinking, oh, maybe this will help me get into med school. But I, I really enjoyed uh, the laboratory life of coming in and being independent and presenting research, doing research and having the freedom to really explore um, something you really like to do. It's, it's really, you really enjoy, you know, that that time you have in the laboratory when it's research-based. Yeah, absolutely. Did you have any like early experiences in the lab that were, I don't know, maybe you found a breakthrough or you finally got a statistical finding? I don't know, you know, what exactly you were doing in the lab, but yeah, anything that stuck yeah. out to you? So with this first laboratory I was in, uh, we worked with a model organism named C. elegans, uh, fully sequenced genome. Um, we can play with its neurons and it's 
translucent animal so we can see through it while it's living. You don't need to kill it. Um, that was a really nice model to work with. And uh, my paper was specifically on uh, mood disorders uh, relating to humans. So we would use a neuron and see how a drug called lithium uh, used to treat bipolar disorder, other mood disorders, um, was changing the behavior that this worm uh, would display during a behavior assay. And for me to, to find this discovery of how lithium was interacting with a neuron or a group of neurons and how that relates to humans was really what sparked my interest of realizing that I want to go to grad school and that I wanted to keep pursuing um, my life in research. Yeah, that's awesome. How did you uh, end up deciding where you wanted to go for your graduate program? Um, that's a good question. For me, it was really important that I was a part of a lab. I had a great mentor, uh, Dr. Gareth Harris, uh, Channel Islands, who was a Harvard or uh, sorry, a Stanford uh, graduate. No, Harvard. Sorry, Harvard graduate. And um, he really coached everyone in the lab on picking the right PI and making sure it's you know a program where you're going to graduate on time and not be there forever because that can happen. Uh, so I, I specifically chose a lab and a school with a lab I wanted to be a part of, and that led me to my master's degree. Because um, I found a lab that studied neuroimmunology, and the immune system and the nervous system is something I've always had a lot more passion for, um, studying biology. And so I had an interview with this PI, Dr. Banner, and we came up with a project idea, and I said, yep, that's exactly where I want to end up. And that ended up being in Northridge, California. So it wasn't so much like loyalty to a school, like, oh, I want to be, you know, a USC or UCLA guy. Um, it was more important that I was researching what I had interest in. Yeah, absolutely. Um, that's awesome. And so just to, for my own context and for the listeners as well, and I guess just to give you context, you know, half of the listeners are, you could generally describe as being in the physical sciences. And then the other half you could describe as being in the humanities or social, social sciences. Um, what is the overlap between neurology and immunology? That's not something I've thought of before. Yeah. So when I say neuroimmunology, I feel like this is like a very pioneering word that's still being accepted um, in the field of sciences because it's, you're describing a connection between two things that are not well studied or documented. So every time you reach out into a direction with, a, with an experiment or study of how the nervous system and immune system are interacting, a lot of it is you'll see conflicting or hypothetical results that need to be studied further. So there's a lot of room for exploration here. Um, and there's not a lot of background science you can pull um, which definitely could make it a very difficult field to study, but also at the same time, there's a lot to discover. Yeah. Very cool. So you, how long ago was it when you started your graduate program? This was in 2020, fall of 2020. And uh, have you started, uh, is it a master's or a PhD level program? This was a specific only master's program. They don't offer a PhDs um, at any Cal State universities I know of. 
Okay. Very cool. Okay. And, you know, I, I did apply to uh, PhD programs um, at the time coming out of an undergrad, but choosing a master's was also a specific uh, choice for me because yeah. I wanted that freedom and options of like, okay, this is a shorter program. I still want to make sure that this is what I want to do with my life and my career. Um, and that's exactly what, you know, this master's degree did for me. Yeah. Yeah, no, that totally makes sense. Uh, what are you working on your master's thesis right now? Yes. Yeah, so my thesis is uh, in the works right now. Can you share any about what you're uh, looking into for that? Yeah, absolutely. So I chose a project working with my model organism, uh, which is a mouse, total workhorse of our, you know, the field of biology. And I was studying the relationship between the blood brain barrier and a mouse that's fed a high fat diet that is uh, basically pre-diabetic at the time where I'm studying the brain of this mouse. And so I had four cohorts of mice and I, I didn't realize, you know, how long it would take at the beginning or the troubles of working with mice and getting bit. Uh, so it was quite a change coming from a, a lab where we worked with microscopic worms. <laughs> yeah. um, but so in my research, uh, we basically found and discovered uh, two proteins of interest, um, interleukin-6 and interleukin-23, um, that I think are responsible for the damage done to the tight junctions and gap junctions at the blood-brain barrier that could potentially uh, make it more leaky, as you would read in some papers, where things could pass into the blood-brain barrier that could cause permanent damage to the brain. We measure this uh, with cognition of the mouse declining in the high-fat uh, groups, pre-diabetic groups. And so that was the, the basis of my research project. Yeah, that's very cool. What, um, how clearly or how directly does this relate to possible implications for humans? So the possible implication for humans is if these two proteins are directly responsible for damage done to the blood-brain barrier, and we know that people with these high-fat obese diets and diabetes have a higher correlation of having uh, Alzheimer's and other brain uh, disorders later in life, um, modern research shows that you know this damage is actually happening a lot younger and mm. you know possibly due to this damage at the blood-brain barrier. If these could possibly be targets, uh, this could eventually impact uh, a drug target study um, since it's a needle in a haystack with how many immune proteins are interacting with the nervous system at this level. Um, I feel like the more needles we pull out of that haystack, the better chances there are of there being a human implications. Yeah, that's very cool. So I feel like the next question is, what do you want to do after your master's program? But like we talked a little bit before off mic, you're already doing quite a bit of other things besides a master's program. Um, <clears throat> how, how would you say your time is divided right now? So time management is definitely something you will get really good at as a graduate student. Since a lot of grad programs will make you teach or do something like that along the lines of being a student. Um, that's exactly what I started doing as a, as a grad student. Uh, my first semester, I started teaching and tutoring. Um, and so you learn how to balance this time. 
And I'm never the person who doesn't look for opportunity and make connections. And so I'm constantly looking to do more. Um, you sacrifice sleep. But I feel like if you have that energy in your 20s, you might as well go for it and see where you end up, right? It's like that movie, Yes Man, when you're in grad school. Yeah. <laughs> Which can get you in trouble. Um, but so I, I started working in biotechnology uh, my first semester of grad school. Um, and this is when things were still mostly online, except for your personal research as far as classes go. And it was, um, it was a great balance. Um, I could work during the day, take classes at night, and do my research um, either at night or on the weekends. Yeah. And so how did you uh, first get into the biotech space in terms of like having a job? Right. There's such a stigma about getting into biotech um, <laughs> that you need to know people and network and it's like invite only. Um, that's not so much true. Um, so yeah. So my first job at Amgen was in this place called the pilot plant. And we're in between like phase three and development of putting a new product onto the market. And so we would, I was in downstream protein purification and this is like massive scale purification. So it was really interesting about learning, you know, in undergrad, you might get a tiny little glimpse of purification in the lab uh, on a very small scale with chromatography or something. And then all of a sudden we're doing like thousands of gallons of purification at a one time. So it was mind blowing to be in that environment um, and then see the, the readouts on things, you know, it would go straight from a cell culture in one building and be piped into our building and being purified, whether it's the antibodies or a virus or something like that. And then, um, all of that would end up in just a couple tiny little one gallon jugs of some sort of, you know, drug, uh, or p potential drug. Um, so that was really fascinating to be doing that while I was starting grad school. And since grad school, uh, was COVID still and things were online, it was easy to balance that work grad school life thing. I, I think uh, plenty of people work while they go through grad school um, and it's just something that you have to consider if you're willing to lose a little sleep and work a little harder. Yeah. Yeah. So you, uh, you balanced the Amgen, Amgen job while being a master's student, right? I did. Or yeah. looks like it's been two and a half years. Is that right? Yes. What would you say are the main challenges with having, it was a full-time job, right? Yes. How how would you hmm what should people know about having like a full-time job when they're also a graduate student? So they'll they'll need to understand that you will definitely take a little longer to graduate um and it may just because they don't offer a course that you need uh during a time that you're working, you know, it's unfortunate they don't have it in the night session or something like that or a weekend class. Um, depends on the size of your grad program, I suppose. Um, so that's something, one thing you'll have to understand. And the other thing you'll have to understand is you definitely want to choose a PI if you know you're going to be working, who's okay with you working. And luckily I had that relationship with my principal investigator hmm. going into grad school who was okay with me working. Um, she said she's had a few students who's done it in the past and they did fine. 
And, you know, I didn't know what I was getting myself into, but I was able to juggle it. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. So let's see. So you're still with Amgen, but you had a title change. Is that correct? Correct. So what do you do now? So I, after pretty much finishing up my master's program and I'm coming towards the end of defending my thesis now, I work for a, I decided, you know, I I probably know enough now to where I can handle a little more uh, sciences and do a little more scientist-like things. And so I really went for it and I applied for like PhD level positions and because I didn't have a PhD, they didn't put, you know, the name scientist behind my name, but I still work with brilliant scientists and I'm, I'm working uh, technically in process development. Hmm. Um, so process development is, you know, you would hear that and what would you think, you know, just hearing process development, you know, you, you will run any experiments from conjugations to ELISA um, to growing cell cultures in a hood. We're a very diverse lab. And we support all of the Amgen sites globally. Um, there's also startups within Amgen that I'm a part of, um, such as biosimilars. And biosimilars are just like, let's say, an antibody that mimics um, an antibody you may have or just you don't produce enough of them in a response to, let's say, a type of cancer. And these are these injections can go, you know, seven or eight thousand dollars for a vial. And that's just a little piece of like what I do now is um, work with these products and ship these products out, um, inventory these products, as well as experiment on these products. Yeah, very cool. And so you mentioned uh, earlier that you've also been spending some time working for a startup. Is that correct? Correct. Yeah. So my last year of grad school work, I was in the vivarium. Vivarium is where Typically, you have all of your lab animals, for anyone who doesn't know, um, in, a, in a facility. So it's like an animal lab. And so I'm in there, and I'm working on my mice. And I'm, all the time, you see you know, professors and grad students, undergrads, coming in, doing their experiments, leaving. And our facility specifically will rent out spaces for other schools. So USC and UCLA also will sometimes use our facilities or a startup. Um, to have a small experiment going. So someone came by while I was doing my work who was part of this startup company, and we just started talking and really hit it off. And he said, are you interested in working for me and I'll pay you? And that's what turned into me working for the startup company. Um, And that really turned into something pretty exciting and amazing. Uh, We were looking at um, the eyeballs of mice and looking into basically macular degeneration targets for people since there's really not too many drugs in the market for that. Um, and so that had to do with a lot of um, GFP and RFP targeting of proteins and a lot of transgenic mouse mice um, models that are expressing human proteins and then looking at through you know calcium channels that what's being activated not activated in these macular degeneration uh, setup and predisposition mice and that was a very exciting uh, to be a part of that where you're working with postdocs scientists PhD students on this project very small project so everyone a startup is nice because everyone knows everyone 
Um, there's not as much job security. Uh, you kind of report your own hours since it's not like there's not always a nine to five amount of work. Um, but for anyone considering going startup or like a large company, there's definitely differences to um, be talked about. Yeah, let's just jump into that. What what would you say the differences are between something like Amgen and this startup? So let's go with Amgen first. So, you know, the big things are you're much more replaceable uh, for the large company. And that's, you know, anywhere. Um, you won't have as much of a relationship like with your managers or with the owners of the company if you ever see them. Um, and then the, the good things about the large company is the benefits and the stock options. Um, the guaranteed work is always there for you. Um, you can move around and network much better at a large company. Hmm. And if you just enjoy, you know, you want a nine to five and you enjoy lab work and it's straightforward. Um, that's a great option. And then the startup, you know, you're pioneering processes. Um, you're working with a small group. Everyone knows everyone. You obviously are going to see the owner a lot, work with the owner, be in communication and the, the potential of you staying in that company if it takes off is you got your foot in the door and you're going to be like that dinosaur one day in that company who is way up in the company. Yeah. It's just whether or not you're willing to stick your neck out and you know hope that the job security stays there, whether or not how much money they get put into their product works. Yeah. Because these startup companies, you know, there's maybe in the last two years I've lived out here, like 50 have opened. And then they'll have like a huge layoff if something doesn't work after phase one, um, which is like their animal trials. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. I uh, I work for a, a huge healthcare company and my wife has worked for a couple different startups over the past few years. And uh, it is interesting to see the differences. Obviously, I only know what I've done, but... Um, yeah, the the job security, the the ability to move with startups has really stood out to me. Right. Um, yeah, and that's definitely the thing that's attracted my wife to working for startups. A lot of people ask me, you know, what's the difference between academia labs and big Fortune five hundred labs? And uh, you know, I always start with the pipettes. Uh, we use, <laughs> you know, I don't know what other schools pipettes are like, but we we have everything is like automated. We have these like amazing. Uh, automated pipettes that are all electric with like little computers in them. And that blew my mind right off the bat and things like little things like, you know, making a buffer, like we take that for granted now, um, but as a grad student, you know, you're usually making all your own buffers and planning out experiments weeks and weeks in ahead to make sure you have all the reagents you need. Mm. And in biotech and these big companies, like there's someone who makes buffers for you. There's all these reagents on hand constantly. Like they spend so much money on this stuff. And it's yeah. so weird how you can get used to that quickly, but yeah, that makes the a lot lab of sense. scene is huge difference. Yeah, yeah. So before we get into more, I guess like job hunting tips and professional development stuff, there's another part of your professional life we haven't touched on yet, which is you're also an adjunct professor. Is that correct? Correct. Man, so, you are juggling a lot. <laughs> I have a hard time saying no to these opportunities and I don't regret it at all. Yeah. Um, you know, I, hey. you always want to dip your toes in different ponds to see what, what you like. Yeah, for sure. I mean, if you've got the energy and the opportunities there, I mean, I, uh, yeah, I totally get that. So what have you been teaching? So I've 
I'm teaching uh, medical terminology, anatomy, uh, pathology. Um, pretty much, if you've taken multiple courses on a subject and you can give a good demonstration on it, uh, you'll end up creating a class from scratch usually, not taking over someone else's class. And then once it's all created, you know, you have the freedom to run a class how you want to, which is really nice. You know, I feel like yeah. as a grad student coming from an undergrad, you've had such a fla flavor palette of, you know, how classes are taught and like you really know what works for you. Um, so I, being able to implement that and like have people um, that I'm teaching and experiencing it from my end and seeing them like it and succeed is like really, really satisfying. And it's like hard to imagine not teaching now. Um, it's something I think I'll always do on the side. Yeah, that makes sense. So what is your end goal if you uh like if you have one and if you don't mind sharing you know you're, yeah. you're finishing up your master's you've got your hands in a couple of biotech things you're adjuncting where do you want to where do you want to you know go if you do want to take a full-time position somewhere what are you thinking about so that's a great question um so I really enjoy working in biotechnology and there's so much room to grow within it. Um, I think as of now, I can see myself staying in the, the biotech sector. Um, if I was offered like a full position uh, teaching, I don't think I would take it as much as I like teaching. Um, it's just a great thing to have on the side. Yeah. But within biotech, you know, I hope to see myself eventually getting into some sort of uh, outreach position to where I, I can use what I know with science and somehow use it to inspire the next future uh, lines of students and PhDs and postdocs to join uh, biotechnologies and to hopefully, you know, create new things that save people's lives. Yeah, that's interesting. <clears throat> Excuse me. Could you tell me a little bit more about what an outreach position might do? I don't th know if I'm super familiar with that. Yeah. So within research and development and operations in these large biotech companies, we have to figure out a way to bring postdocs in for our postdoc programs, uh, bring in PhDs and bring in students um, that want to work their way up in the company. And so I'd, I'd love to see myself doing something where we, you know, we go out to the Cal States, we go out to the UCs, and we set up meetings between other companies and collaborate. Um, and I feel like, you know, having a strong background in research and a passion for teaching, which is what I do, would just be a great niche for me mm -hmm. um, in the long run. Yeah. Would you describe yourself more as an introvert or an extrovert? I would definitely go with extrovert uh, 100%. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I was going to say that that's a very uh like people facing position for um yeah. Uh yeah, no that totally makes sense. I feel like they always ask you that in job interviews. I feel like I've been asked that quite a bit. Um, yeah. cuz a lot of lab positions are great for introverts where there's just so much solo work and for sure. a lot of people wouldn't know if you showed up or not to work. <laughs> yeah. Um but you know um, being who I am, I'm constantly networking and making connections with people with labs around us and, uh, reaching out to people through network and figuring out what they do. And if I would be any help to their position. Yeah. Very cool. 
It's the way to go, man. So let's let's jump right into that. So you you mentioned uh, interviews. You mentioned networking. Let's start from square one. So for the folks who are thinking about a career in biotech, let's say they're current grad students, maybe they're working on their thesis or their dissertation, they've got some time left before they graduate, what should they be doing right now to prepare themselves to jump into a career in biotechnologies? Great question. So glad you asked this one. So you're coming towards an end. You know you want to check out biotech. Just explore it. You know. Spend a year there, see how it goes. Um, there's a ton of contract positions that are like six months to a year, and they they're very they're much easier to get hired into those positions because not as much of a risk to the biotech company to not hire you on as a full time employee. You'll still get benefits um, and good pay, and it could easily turn into a career. Um, they will hire you after your contract is over if you offer the company something. Um, but you know you want to ask yourself. What do you have to offer the company and what does the company have to offer you? Is there room for you to grow your resume? You know, are you going to learn cell culture? Are you going to learn, you know, these types of assays? Um, so it's, it's a two-way road is how you should look at it. And what you want to begin to do is uh, look at contract companies around areas you live or where you can see yourself living and start make, reaching out. Um, I know there's like Aerotech and Actolent and Thermo Fisher that are big contractors that will put together everything for you and then send it out to the company and set you up with an interview. You can also just go to these companies' websites. You know, Startups are easier to get the interviews. Um, the big companies, you'll want to go to their careers websites, sign up for their career uh, email list, and start looking at what positions are open. Um, there's always a chance that you'll get an interview there too. Um, but with the contract, you can at least start that before you graduate and get the ball rolling so that in those last couple of weeks, you can have a couple interviews lined up within different biotech companies and actually have options of like salary, uh, exactly what you'll be doing, you know, wet lab versus dry lab. Um, are you better with data? You know, do you want to work with animals? That type of a thing. And what yeah. these companies are looking for is they're not expecting you to, retain all of your information from all of your courses as an undergrad, as a grad student, um, you know, as a PhD and postdoc, that's different. But if you have a master's degree and bachelor's degree and you want to go straight into biotech, it's a great way to grow your skill set. It's like being in academia. You're still going to be learning and being coached, but they want you to kind of forget everything you knew and they're going to teach you how to do it their way with their procedures. Um, so there's, you know, there's nothing, there's no high expectations of, oh, you, you know, forgot how to do stoichiometry. <laughs> um, you know, what's the, uh, you know, elemental symbol and how many electrons does it have? Um, so that's something you cannot stress too hard about. And it's, like I said, it's a nine to five. Um, you know what you're supposed to do every day and you don't have homework when you go home. Yeah. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. So let's say folks are nearing the end of their degree. Maybe they've had a contract position. Uh, maybe not. They're, they've gotten an interview. So I know what academic interviews are like, and I know what data analyst interviews are like. But what, what would you, how do biotech interviews stand out from 
maybe some other interview in your experience? So with a biotech interview, you're probably going to be interviewed by the whole team that you're going to be working with. So you, and this could last three to four hours. Um, they're going to make sure that you're a right fit for this exact position you're being hired for. Um, so you're going to be asked a ton of questions about, you know, you're going to get the generic questions, then you're going to get detailed questions. Um, for the PhD level positions, like I recently interviewed for, you're going to get asked questions specifically about your research, uh, your data, and why you did certain experiments versus others, you know, but as a more bachelor's level, you're going to be asked questions that are going to show them you're ambitious, that you're headstrong and that you have your head on your shoulders and that you are a go-getter. You know, that's what they're going to look for at the entry level, um, confidence. They're not going to expect you to know a ton. Um, for the people going in with PhD and postdocs, those questions will look more like, let me see what you've published. We're going to go through it, know everything about it, and then try to stump you. But just yeah. because you think the interview went bad, that's not, you know, doesn't mean you're not going to get uh, a second follow-up interview. And there will be, no matter what, a second follow-up interview with just your managers, um, kind of the same thing, uh, maybe a couple new questions uh, just to make sure it's a good fit for you. And then you, you know, they're pretty quick. You'll This will probably all happen within a month. Yeah. Yeah, very cool. So let's say folks uh, get through an interview, uh, they get maybe an offer or two. What would you say are like average salary ranges in biotech for, let's say, a bachelor's degree holder, a master's degree holder, and a PhD degree holder? So at the bachelor's level, you could expect to make anywhere between you know twenty-eight to thirty-four dollars an hour starting, and then at, at the master's level, you know forty to fifty um, an hour starting, and then at the let's say you are a postdoc at a biotech company, I think mine specifically pays around eighty-five to ninety thousand with bonuses as a postdoc hmm. um, salary if you're a part of the postdoc program. And then at the PhD level, it's pretty much guaranteed six figures in biotech starting. Very cool. Very cool. Um, any other uh, tidbits of information about working in biotech that you want to share before I jump to some other questions? Uh, yeah. So advice I would give to anyone who's going to start interviewing within biotech Um don't get too excited with your like very first interview where they say, you know, they like you, we're going to offer you a position. Um, definitely try to give yourself some options. You know, these companies will be willing to like give you some time on their response for a yes and no. Tell them you're looking at a few other positions and at least have two or three options um, in different companies to really balance out your what's important, which is your work personal life balance. You know, you don't want to overwork yourself and your salary and your benefits. Yeah. Yeah. Makes a lot of sense. Yeah. All right. So I have some questions from Instagram. All right. Let's see. At what point in your graduate studies did you know you wanted to go to industry as opposed to academia? So since I began industry uh, right after my undergraduate work, 
I had a good understanding of what the industry means and what it is. And I feel like a lot of people still don't know what biotech industry actually is. Hmm. Um, you know, if you've only been in academia forever and everyone in academia tells you, you need to get your PhD. Um, you don't necessarily need to, to be extremely successful um, in the biotech world. Uh, you can easily work your way up into the scientist route with research or into management. Um, if you don't go the research route, make great living for yourself. Yeah. Uh, okay. Next question. I'm going to change it a little bit, but how do you communicate analyses and the results of your analyses to coworkers or managers who don't know the science or the statistics behind it? It's a good question. So how do I report my data is I think what you're asking. Yeah. To, you know, everyone in this global chain where we are all communicating together, you know, from Ireland to China. Um, so we use electronic notebooks in biotech for everything. And this is a globally accessed electronic network notebook. And what it does is all of this data gets turned into tons of different um, graphs and analytics and people can take it and work on it from my notebook and I can take others notebooks and work on that data. Um, so it's, it's a very standard procedure and that's exactly what we have is these standard operating procedures where we have one way we're allowed to do things to make it streamlined globally. Hmm. Um, so it's not like in academia where you can do whatever you want with your data to make it fit, you know, the, the research, you want your research to look good, strong, um, in, in biotech, you know, the research is going to look good or bad unbiasedly. Yeah. Cause that would, could cost the company a ton of money. Yeah. That makes sense. So for folks who are, um, let's say they've only been in academia thus far either in the master's program or in a doctoral program, they're looking towards biotech. Are there any skills or programs that they need to learn that they probably won't be exposed to in academia? So I recommend just in general being good with, you know, data programs in general will make you look like a very strong candidate, uh, whether it's R or Excel, you know, you can be creative there as long as you know how to verbally communicate how it can be applied to learning a new program and that you're able to pick things up quickly and figure it out. Um, that's what students do. Um, I recommend looking into internship programs within biotech, even if you're like mid PhD, mid grad student or undergrad, they have all these levels of uh, internship programs in biotech companies like Amgen, for example, and they're paid internship programs. And you will get a little taste of everything and it'll be a huge eye-opening experience to something you didn't know existed. Um, you will be blown away for sure. And I highly recommend that. I didn't do it personally, but I get to see these students come and go all the time and they leave as completely different people with so much more professionalism. Yeah. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Uh, so you mentioned R, <coughs> excuse me. You mentioned R, um, <laughs> And I really like R, if I'm being honest. It's love or hate. Yeah. I mean, it. I used a program uh, called M+. 
it's mainly used in the social sciences. It's like, sorry, my computer is, can you hear me? Yeah. Yeah. My screen just shut off. Uh, it's mainly used in the social sciences. It's like structural equation modeling stuff. And I found the coding, the syntax uh, structure to be pretty consistent between M plus and R. So I fell in love with R. I ended up getting a job where we used mainly SQL or SQL, which is fine. Um, and so I'm learning that right now. Would you say R is bigger in biotech or Python or some other program? So because of the way biotech runs so secretively, they have their own programmers and programs that basically mimic uh, these programs. Okay. So they want people with that background and then they're going to show you, here's what we use and basically apply this. So people who do data, um, looking for data careers, um, have such a niche within biotechnology that is exploding right now. Um, so if you, you know that you're good at this and you just thoroughly enjoy it, like you, Matt, um, that's definitely something I would keep pursuing, um, because of how big that field is getting. Mm, very cool. I do love me some data. And actually, now that you mentioned that there, there was another question from Instagram. I'm going to go back to, um, so this is a person who they're looking for any advice on how to shift from a heavy bench lab work PhD to more of a large scale data analyst role in industry. So heavy bench top to data in industry, um, that's definitely something you can do. You just have to apply those for those interviews and they will give you a chance. You know, if you have that bench top work, cause oftentimes that bench top work and that data analysis is very closely tied together and they work very closely together mm -hmm. um, within a specific lab, let's say, like if you're in research and development, um, they don't want those guys in different buildings or in different states. Um, although you can get those work from home jobs, um, you can also have the on-site jobs where you're still very closely tied to the scientist and uh, boots on the ground people. So I would 100% uh, be gung-ho and tailor your resume or your CV or both to getting that specific job. You know, you want to show them what you have to offer and what you have, what they have to offer you. Yeah. Yeah. Makes a lot of sense. And, um, you know, like I said, I come from the social sciences, so I'm not too familiar with, with bench science. I imagine that part of it is, uh, you've got smaller sample sizes when you're doing bench work. Um, mm -hmm. And then maybe if you get into like a larger biotech company, you'd be juggling bigger sample sizes or maybe not it's... always, you know, not always. If you're in research, you may have very small sample sizes before yep. it scales up to larger. Um, so that's, that's something that can totally work out for you. If that, you know, if that's something you're interested in viewing uh, for that right. Instagram users question. Um, so even benchtop work, like let's say you were working with yeast or something really a bacteria, you know, your sample size may still be very large and it's, it's applicable if you tailor it to be applicable. There's nothing wrong with, you know, putting yourself on a pedestal and really boasting your capabilities. Um, cause they're not going to expect you to be, um, 
the next discoverer of something in these companies. They're going to treat you fairly and treat you like a human is what I've experienced. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. I really appreciate your insight in uh, all this, Chase. It sounds like such an interesting industry to be a part of. It's Um, definitely exciting. How do you see uh, just biotech evolving, you know, moving forward, just generally speaking? In general, how do I see biotech moving forward? Um, Yeah, do you think it's it's a dying industry, a growing industry? Any cool innovations coming out? Yeah, I think since, this is my personal opinion, you know, since COVID-19 and these uh, mRNA technologies and with what's happening with CRISPR, um, there is so many technologies that are being explored and utilized in biotech that are so untalked about. Um, They are always trying, you know, these companies need to make money for themselves. So they are more willing than anyone to be the first to do something. And, you know, COVID was a great uh, option for taking technology no one thought would be used and applying it quickly to an application. And, you know, with genetic editing and the better and better microscopy tools that we're seeing with being able to look at cancer while it's actually living in tissue and watch it interact with a drug target, you know, over a certain time span, like let's say in a a cell culture, you know, we're, we're, Really gonna see, in my opinion, biotech take over old school pharmacy. Um, and when I when I think of biotech, I don't think of old school pharmacy. I think of like large molecule. Um, so I think you know the future of biotech is definitely moving towards large molecule, which means you can't take it in a pill. Things are gonna get tailored towards your own body's function. That's not gonna be a one size fits all approach. And the, the challenge is, you know, how do you apply that to everyone? Um, when a company has to make money for itself and it's more individually tailored, um, that's for sure a challenge that we will have to figure out. Um, but I think the the age of having tons of side effects and other problems that are associated with old school treatments of cancer and other diseases will be in the past. And I think we will, in the next 20 years, see huge leaps in the field of uh, oncology and hematology. Yeah. Very cool. Very exciting stuff, man. Yeah. Um, so before we wrap this up, uh, if folks want to shoot you a message or follow along in your journey, how would you recommend they do that? Uh, LinkedIn is a great way to get a hold of me. And if you're in the Southern California area or, you know, in generally interested in a company like Amgen, please reach out to me. And um, I would love to try to help you out there. And uh, so, yeah, LinkedIn. Shoot me a message on LinkedIn. Perfect. All right. And uh, you're under Chase Baker, and you've got a lovely picture of you uh, giving a presentation at a poster session. That's uh, right. At least right now. So, And I will have uh, a link to your uh, LinkedIn page in the description of this episode. So, listeners, you can just scroll down through the description, click it, and it'll go over to Chase's LinkedIn page. Okay, so last few things. Chase, was there anything that we didn't talk about that you wanted to spend a little bit of time chatting about? Yeah, sure. So a lot of people, you know, if you're in the PhD route, I work with a lot of PhDs, and I've, you know, definitely thought about PhD route. Um, If you're thinking about going straight from your PhD into biotech or doing a postdoc, 
you have two options in biotech. They have postdoc options in biotech where you're going to, they're much shorter programs than your average postdoc. Like they're guaranteed two, two and a half years. And then your options from there are usually, from what I've personally seen with postdocs coming into the program, are huge um, for where they end up. And then publishing within biotech is an option where it's public, pub, publicly published. But let's say you're a PhD or you finish your postdoc and you stay within biotech, you still are going to be expected to publish, but it may not be publicly because biotech doesn't really steal from academia and vice versa. You know, that's why they call us the dark side. Um, but we are in it for a good reason, and that is to better humanity and serve patients. And that is something I definitely can stand behind and feel good about doing every day. Yeah, absolutely. All right, Chase, what is one thing, this is the last question, what is one thing that grad students listening now need to do before they graduate? Oof, what a question. So one thing you need to do before you graduate I actually have to think about this one, Matt. <laughs> so one thing you have to do before you actually walk on that stage and you know celebrate your graduation is definitely going to have to be to... <laughs> um, is this like a PG-13 audience? <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, for sure it is. Yeah. Um, for me... It was going to have to be to crack a beer in my lab uh, when I was finished up with all of my hands-on research and uh, drink a beer from your lab. Um, I know some professors are totally cool with that. In a lot of labs, you'll find beer in your lab fridge. But for me, it was very re rewarding and gratifying to see the work come to an end and drink that cold beer. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh there was one lab that I worked in. I won't won't name it, but uh, before Christmas, the PI did walk in one day with a couple of bottles of wine, and uh, so he opened those up, and we did some work, sipping some wine, and had some cool conversations about research. It was a fun time. Yeah, exactly. You know, it depends on the lab. It's a great feeling and experience. Um, I recommend doing it regardless of your PI being okay with it, whether they're there or not. Um, quick story. I, I used to share a room with a yeast lab and these, these, uh, students and professor who worked in this yeast lab, uh, they would drink beer normally, but they would also eat the yeast or sorry, the, uh, the agar that the yeast were growing on. I think they would eat the yeast growing on it too, but they, you know, oh. I guess the, the similarity of yeast and the beer to them was just this great science that they were indulging in. I always thought that was hilarious. That's funny. Yeah. That's great. All right, Chase. Folks, check them out on LinkedIn. Scroll down into the uh, description of this episode, and you can click on that LinkedIn link. Uh, Chase, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It was great to talk to you, man. Yeah, it was my pleasure. Thank you so much again. And I hoped I, I uh, helped some people uh, with advice with working in grad school and uh, thinking about biotech. Yeah. Yeah, biotech sounds awesome. All right, Chase, I will talk to you next time, my man. Sounds good, Matt. Take care.
folks, thanks again for tuning in to the Grad School Sucks podcast. I hope you got a lot out of my interview with Chase today. It was awesome to hear about his booming career in biotech and how grad students today can also break into that space. Be sure to check out the description of today's episode for a link to Chase's LinkedIn page. Also, don't forget to click the link in the description of this podcast episode to enter my free grad school sticker giveaway today. It will end in the next few weeks. If you did end up joining today's podcast, please consider leaving a rating or review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. It really does mean a lot to me as a content creator when folks leave ratings and written reviews for the podcast. As always, I'm your host, Matt Carlson. And I look forward to bringing you another great episode next week. As promised, here are Chase's responses to the bonus questions. See y'all next time. What is your spirit animal? Oof, spirit animal? I'm probably going to have to go with uh, C. elegans. What is that? I'm going to go with C. elegans. So Canor habditis elegans is uh, definitely going to be my spirit animal. It's a microscopic nematode. Okay, and what makes it your spirit animal? So C. elegans is my spirit animal because I, you know, I developed a close relationship working with this animal for so long in the lab. And it's like, how can you appreciate a, a microscopic worm, but they actually have so much to offer. And it's like, I like the, the theme of things that go so easily unnoticed can have so much to offer. Hmm. Very cool. All right. Uh, so maybe related, but question number two is what would you say your real life superpower is? Hmm. My real life superpower is definitely going to have to be persistence. If that is a superpower. Yeah. Uh, that is definitely what has launched me to where I am today and uh, keeps pushing me into great places. Very cool, very cool. All right, last question. If you could have the ability to teleport anywhere in the world whenever you wanted, but it had to be the same place every time, and then you could teleport back when you were done or wanted to go home, what would that place be? Uh, that's a special place in my heart. Uh, it's a place called Whidbey Island, a little town called Green Bank. And uh, this is just a place that brings me immense peace. I go there in my mind when I want to relax. And it's just a great little rocky beach on the water. That's awesome. Awesome.